0: Chapter 1 of The Everlasting Righteousness, or How Shall Man Be Just with God, by Horatius Bonar. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by J. Reader. How Shall Man Be Just with God? Prologue to Chapter 1. Quote from Hooker on Justification and Jude. We are justified by faith. Being justified, all our sins are covered god beholdeth us in the righteousness which is imputed and not in the sins which we have committed but imputation of righteousness hath covered the sins of every soul which believeth god by pardoning our sin hath taken it away so that now although our transgressions be multiplied above the hairs of our head yet being justified we are as free and as clear as if there were no one spot or stain of any uncleanness in us now sin being taken away we are made the righteousness of god in christ no man is blessed but in the righteousness of god every man whose sin is taken away is blessed therefore every man whose sin is covered is made the righteousness of god in christ this righteousness doth make us to appear most holy most pure most unblameable before him hooker on jude continuing the prologue god made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of god in him such are we in the sight of god the father as is the very son of god himself let it be counted folly or frenzy or fury whatsoever it is our comfort and our wisdom we care for no knowledge in the world but this that man hath sinned and god hath suffered that god hath made himself the sin of man and that men are made the righteousness of god hooker on justification end of prologue chapter one god's answer to man's question how may i a sinner draw near to him in whom there is no sin and look upon his face in peace this is the great question which at some time or other every one of us has asked this is one of the awful problems which man in all ages has been attempting to solve there is no evading it he must face it that man's answers to this question should have been altogether wide of the mark it is only what might have been expected for he does not really understand the import of the question which he with much earnestness perhaps is putting nor discern the malignant character of that evil which he yet feels to be a barrier between him and god that man's many elaborate solutions of the problem which has perplexed the race since evil entered should have been unsatisfactory is not wonderful seeing his ideas of human guilt are so superficial, his thoughts of himself so high, his views of God so low. But that, when God is interposed as an interpreter to answer the question and to solve the problem, man should be so slow to accept the divine solution as given in the word of God, betrays an amount of unteachableness and self-will which is difficult to comprehend the preference which man has always shown for his own theories upon this point is unaccountable save upon the supposition that he has but poor discernment of the evil forces with which he professes to battle a faint knowledge of the spiritual havoc which has been wrought in himself a very vague perception of what law and righteousness are a sorrowful ignorance of that divine being with whom as lawgiver and judge he knows that he has to do and a low appreciation of eternal holiness and truth man has always treated sin as a misfortune not a crime as disease not as guilt as a case for the physician not for the judge herein lies the essential faultiness of all mere human religions or theologies they fail to acknowledge the judicial aspect of the question as that on which the real matter must hinge And to recognize the guilt or criminality of the evildoer as that which must first be dealt with before any real answer or approximation to an answer can be given god is a father but he is no less a judge shall the judge give way to the father or the father give way to the judge god loves the sinner but he hates the sin shall he sink his love to the sinner in his hatred of the sin or his hatred of the sin in his love to the sinner, God has shown that he has no pleasure in the death of the sinner ezekiel thirty three eleven yet he has also sworn that the soul that sinneth it shall die ezekiel eighteen four which of the two oaths shall be kept? Shall the one give way to the other? Can both be kept inviolate? Can a contradiction apparently so direct be reconciled? Which is the more unchangeable and irreversible, the vow of pity or the oath of justice? Law and love must be reconciled, else the great question as to the sinner's intercourse with the Holy One must remain unanswered. The one cannot give way to the other. Both must stand, else the pillars of the universe will be shaken. The reconciliation man has often tried, for he has always had a glimpse of the difficulty but he has failed, for his endeavors have always been in the direction of making law succumb to love. The reconciliation God has accomplished, and in the accomplishment both law and love have triumphed. The one has not given way to the other. Each has kept its ground, nay, each has come from the conflict honored and glorified. Never has there been love like this love of God, so large, so lofty, so intense, so self-sacrificing. Never has law been so pure, so broad, so glorious, so inexorable. There has been no compromise. Law and love have both had their full scope. Not one jot or tittle has been surrendered by either. They have been satisfied to the full, the one in all of its severity, the other in all of its tenderness. Love has never been more truly love and law has never been more truly law than in this conjunction of the two. It has been reconciliation without compromise. God's honor has been maintained, yet man's interests have not been sacrificed. God has done it all, and he has done it effectually and irreversibly. Man could not have done it, even though he could have devised it, but truly he could do neither. God only could have devised it and done it. He has done it by removing the whole case into his own courts of law, that it might be settled there on a righteous basis. Man could not have gone into the court with the case, save in the certainty that he would lose it. God comes into the court bringing man and man's whole case along with him, that upon righteous principles and in a legal way, the case may be settled at once in favor of man and in favor of God it is this judicial settlement of the case that is god's one and final answer to man's long unanswered question how shall man be just with god wherewith shall i come before the lord and bow myself before the high god micah six six god provides the basis of the reconciliation a basis which demonstrates that there is no compromise between law and love but the full expression of both a basis which establishes both the authority and paternity of jehovah as lawgiver and father a basis which reveals in infinite awfulness the exceeding sinfulness of sin the spotless purity of the statute the unbending character of god's governmental ordinances and which yet secures in and by law the righteous overflow of his boundless love to the lost sons of adam this basis of reconciliation between law and love god has himself not only provided but brought into his own courts of law proposing to the sinner that all questions between himself and the sinner should be settled on this basis so equitable so friendly so secure and settled in judicial form by a legal process in which verdict is given in favor of the accused and he is clean absolved justified from all things the consent of parties to the acceptance of this basis is required in court the law consents the lawgiver consents father son and spirit consent and man the chief party interested is asked for his consent if he consents the whole matter is settled the verdict is issued in his favor and henceforth he can triumph and say it is god that justifieth who is he that condemneth sin is too great an evil for man to meddle with His attempts to remove it do but increase it, and his endeavors to approach God in spite of it aggravate his guilt. Only God can deal with sin, either as a disease or as a crime, as a dishonor to himself or as a hinderer of man's approach to himself. He deals with it not in some arbitrary or summary way, by a mere exercise of will or power, but by bringing it for adjudication into his own courts of law. As judge seated on his tribunal he settles the case and settles it in favor of the sinner of any sinner on earth that will consent to the basis which he proposes into this court each one may freely come on the footing of a sinner needing the adjustment of the great question between him and god that adjustment is no matter of uncertainty or difficulty it will at once be granted to each applicant and the guilty man with his case however bad thus legally settled retires from court with his burden removed and his fears dispelled assured that he can never again be summoned to answer for his guilt it is righteousness that has reconciled god to him and him to god as sin is too great an evil for any but god to deal with so is righteousness too high for any man to reach too high for any but god to bring down and place at our disposal God has brought down and brought nigh the righteousness. Thus the guilt which we have contracted is met by the righteousness which God has provided, and the exclusion from the divine fellowship which the guilt produced is more than reversed by the new introduction which the righteousness places at our disposal. May I then draw near to God and not die? May I draw near and live? may i come to him who hateth sin and yet find that the sin which he hateth is no barrier to my coming no reason for my being shut out from his presence as an unclean thing may i renew my lost fellowship with him who made me and who made me for himself may i worship in his holy place with safety to myself and without dishonour to him these are the questions with which god has dealt and dealt with so as to ensure a blessed answer to them all an answer which will satisfy our troubled consciences as well as the holy law of god his answer is final and it is effectual he will give no other nor will he deal with these questions in any other way than he has done he has introduced them into his courts of law that there they may be finally adjusted And out of these courts into which god has taken them who can withdraw them or what end would be served by such a withdrawal on our part would it make the settlement more easy more pleasant more sure it would not it would augment the uncertainty and make the perplexity absolutely hopeless yet the tendency of modern thought and modern theology is to refuse the judicial aspect of these questions and to withdraw them from the courts into which god has introduced them an extra judicial adjustment is attempted man declining to admit such a guilt as would bring him within the grasp of law and refusing to acknowledge sin to be of such a nature as to require a criminal process in solemn court yet admitting the necessity or desirableness of the removal of the sore evil under which humanity is felt to be laboring and under which if unremoved it must ere long dissolve the history of six thousand years of evil has been lost on man he refuses to read its awful lesson regarding sin and god's displeasure against the sinner which that history records the flood of the evil that is issued forth from one single sin he has forgotten the death the darkness the sorrow the sickness the tears The weariness the madness the confusion the bloodshed the furious hatred between man and man making earth a suburb of hell all this is overlooked or misread and man repels the thought that sin is a crime which god hates with an infinite hate and which he in his righteousness must condemn and avenge if sin is such a surface thing such a trifle as men deem it what is the significance of this long sad story do earth's ten thousand graveyards where human love lies buried tell no darker tale do the millions upon millions of broken hearts and heavy eyes say that sin is but a trifle does the moaning of the hospital or the carnage of the battlefield the blood-stained sword and the death-dealing artillery proclaim that sin is a mere casualty and the human heart the seat of goodness after all does the earthquake the volcano the hurricane the tempest speak nothing of sin's desperate evil does man's aching head and empty heart and burdened spirit and shadowed brow and weary brain and tottering limbs not utter in a voice articulate beyond mistake that sin is guilt and that that guilt must be punished punished by the judge of all not as a mere violation of natural laws, but as a breach of the eternal law, which admits no reversal. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. For without the law, sin is nothing. The strength of sin is the law. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty six. And he who makes light of sin must defend moral confusion and injustice. And he who refuses to recognize sin as guilt must dissolve the law of the universe or ascribe imbecility and injustice to the judge of all. The world has grown old in sin and has now more than ever begun to trifle with it, either as a necessity which cannot be cured or as a partial aberration from good order which will rectify itself ere long. It is this tampering with evil, this refusal to see sin as God sees it, As the law declares it as the story of our race has revealed it that has in all ages been the root of error and of wide departure from the faith once delivered to the Saints admit the evil of sin with all of its eternal consequences and you are shut up to a divine way of dealing with it deny the evil of sin and the future results of that evil and you may deny the whole revelation of God set aside the cross and abrogate the law by the law is the knowledge of sin therefore the connection between sin and law must be maintained both in condemnation and in pardon god's interposition in behalf of man must be a confirmation not a relaxation of law for law cannot change even as god cannot change nor deny himself favor to the sinner which would simply establish law or leave its sanctities untouched would be much but favour to him which would deepen its foundations and render it more venerable more awful than before is unspeakably higher and surer even so it has been law has not suffered at the hands of love nor love been cramped and frozen by law both have had full scope fuller than if man had never fallen i know that love is not law and that law is not love in love properly no love inheres it is like the balance which knows not whether it be gold or iron that is laid upon it yet in that combination of the judicial and parental which god's way of salvation exhibits law has become the source and vehicle of love and love laws upholder and honorer so that even in this sense and aspect love is the fulfilling of the law footnote of law there can be no less acknowledged than that her seat is in the bosom of god her voice the harmony of the world all things in heaven do her homage the very least as feeling her care and the greatest as not exempted from her power both angels and men and creatures of what condition soever though each in different sort and manner yet all with uniform consent admiring her as the mother of their peace and joy hooker End of footnote. the law that was against the sinner has come to be upon the sinner's side it is now ready to take his part in the great controversy between him and god provided he will conduct his case on the new principles which god has introduced for the settlement of all the variances between himself and the sinner or rather provided he will put that case into the hands of the divine advocate who alone knows how to conduct it aright and bring it to a successful issue who is both propitiation and advocate the propitiation for our sins first john two two the advocate with the father jesus christ the righteous First John two one. End of chapter one. Recording by J. Reader, ChapelLibrary.org.